0: Welcome to the Frontline Response to Health and Homelessness podcast series. This series is based on the articles published in the March 2020 edition of Parity Magazine, which is available on the link accompanying this podcast. That magazine and this podcast series give voice to those with lived experience of homelessness, those working on the frontline, and those that support the sector in delivering services to people who are homeless. My name is Dan Fleming and I'm delighted to introduce our host, John Willis, who leads the Inclusive Health Team for St Vincent's Health Australia. John will introduce both of our guests in just a moment. As we're recording during the COVID-19 pandemic, John and our guests will be with us by phone for this episode. John Willis, over to you. Thanks, Dan. It's my wonderful
1: pleasure to welcome Rebecca Howard, the Service Development Manager for the Health Independence Program at St Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne. And also on the line, we have Susie James Neville, the manager of the adult justice programs at Jesuit Social Services, both also in Melbourne. Lovely to have you both. How are you all?
2: Very well. Thanks, Thank you John. you,
1: John. Oh, that's good. You were almost in concert then. Perfect. Um, <laughs> so we've got both of you on the line, which is great. Um, during COVID-19, office many of us working from home. But thanks for being part of this podcast series. Now, your article has uh, it's outlined this four-way partnership arrangement between St Vincent's Hospital, Melbourne, Jesuit Social Services, Bolton, Clark and the University of Melbourne. Now, it sounds like a quite a challenge bringing four agencies together around a piece of work, but you've done it. Um, and I, I'm really intrigued to hear how you've kept everyone on track. But just to start off this conversation, if I can be, begin with you, um, Susie, um, could you outline for us What is it that the service that Reconnect program offers and and who are your clients?
3: Yeah, sure, John. Uh, So Reconnect is a statewide program funded by Corrections Victoria and Jesuit Social Services uh, works in the northwest metro region. So we support men and women coming out of custody from all the prisons across the state except Ravenhall that want to reside in the uh, northwest metropolitan region of Melbourne. So um, we work with people that have high-end, high-risk offending 100% of women are eligible for the program and 100% Aboriginal men and women. And our focus is to provide transitional support to support people to reintegrate back into community, to um, provide community safety and manage risk, as well as reducing the risk of offending and recidivism. Uh, And I guess we have a team of uh, 12 case managers, a coordinator, and two sen- or three senior practitioners that work uh, with our participants and we provide case management, outreach-based
1: support uh, to support them to integrate back into the community. Great. Good program. And you've been doing this for a while, yeah? Jesuit Social Services have been in this space for quite a while, haven't they?
3: Yeah. Look, Jesuit Social Services have worked in the justice system for over 40 years. We have a youth justice program, community justice programs and then we've had the adult justice program. So we've had... Um, Reconnect for probably about six years now, and we had the previous reiteration of the program as yeah. well. So, yeah, we've got a long history in the justice
1: space. Part of Jesuit Social Services' DNA. Wonderful. Exactly. So, over to you, Beck. Um, St Vincent's discussed the idea of embedding a um, a nurse, um, a Bolton Clark nurse, within this Reconnect team at Jesuit Social Services. Can you tell us a little bit about where this idea came from and what issues you were hoping to address by putting a nurse in this team?
2: Yeah, sure. So some things as a health provider are well aware of the, the the risk in the great vulnerability at the point of transition from prison to the community. Uh, we know there's risk in lots of ways, but particularly for people with underlying health issues that have high rates of chronic disease, mental illness and history of substance use. And we also know that it's really hard for people to prioritise their health needs over their basic survival needs on a day-to-day basis. There's certainly published evidence that the first few weeks of release from prison, people are at much higher risk of hospitalisation, injury and death compared with the general community. And St Vincent's Hospital Melbourne's got a really long and lovely history of collaboration with Bolton-Clark Homeless Persons Program or what was formerly the Royal District Nursing Service's Homeless Persons Program. Mm. And they bring to the partnership a great wealth of experience in community outreach, primary care nursing for the most marginalised of people with really complex health and housing needs, So I guess our partnership was about embedding a community nurse from this team within ReConnect. And there were a few elements that we wanted to address and I guess deliver. The firstly was being able to address people's acute health needs and that might be physical or mental health needs um, that might otherwise deteriorate into someone needing to attend an emergency department. And that might be things as simple as a skin infection or a wound, a chest infection, um, that with really timely proactive primary care could be nipped in the bud and never become a big issue. Secondly, we wanted to make sure that these people had an avenue to have their chronic health needs addressed. So this is about people being able to access and get involved with general primary care, so general practitioner, allied health, mental health, substance use programs. And thirdly, by embedding the nurse within the ReConnect team, we endeavoured to build capacity with the ReConnect case management team so that they could more effectively uh, empower their participants to address their health needs and to navigate the complexities of the health system, which we know even um, for the general community is really tough to be able to navigate primary care, acute hospitals, mental health facilities, substance use programs, uh, etc. Hmm.
1: And, and just oh, just a, as a side issue, Beck, does the, does the nurse have a good connection to GPs that they can oh, work with? Oh,
2: fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's probably a real strength of the Bolton Clark Homeless Persons Programme nurses generally, is that they are well and truly operating this space and have been for a very long time trying to help very marginalised people who, at its most simple um, barrier, might not have a Medicare card and don't know who the GPs in the area who might be, you know, open door and welcoming of people from all walks of life. So I think being able to navigate those systems and, and as simply as attending the appointment with them and helping them then carry out the, um, the directions or the instructions from the general practitioner around prescriptions or actions to take from there uh, and enabling that process has been a real strength. Yeah.
1: Yeah, fantastic. When you when you look at all the articles in this edition, the March 2020 edition of Parity Magazine, um, you will notice that Bolton-Clark's name comes up quite a lot. So in health and homelessness, particularly in Victoria, Bolton-Clark has played a, a big role for many years. They're a great yeah. service. Back to you, Susie, if I can. How has the nurse role been utilised within your team? And from your perspective, how effective has it been? And could you reckon you could get any kind of nurse to fill this role or is it a special kind of nurse?
2: Well,
3: um, I guess, John, if I just go back a step, we have um, the, the support we provide, as I mentioned earlier, is case management and outreach-based support, yep. and we we focus on seven key domains, which are housing and homelessness, community connection and family connection, al- al- um, alcohol and drugs issues, mental health, education, training, employment, and living skills. There's sort of seven key domains that we support people to address, and I guess through yep. our work. Um, we identified that a gap was in around a health response. So, in, uh, we, you know, through our experience, understood the importance of having a continuity of health approach from when people yep. were um, exiting custody and coming into the community. Um, and so, I, I guess through that work, when we were approached by St. Vincent's, we were really keen to trial in a post-release support program, a, um, a, a embedding a nurse and, a, and looking at the improving the health response and the health outcomes for the participants we work with, understanding that health is uh, an indicator of social inclusion. Um, we, uh, as you've said, Bolton-Clark have a, a very um, strong reputation in Victoria and we have a history of working with, with Bolton-Clark and um, their, their nursing homeless um, persons program. And I think yep. that the, the the nurses really brought um, some of the things that, Beck mentioned earlier, it's improved um, the health literacy, not only the participants we work with, but also provided a, a secondary col- consult and health education for the staff. It's helped um, to navigate the, the health system. Um, it, um, the nursing role has provided the primary health care as well as um, you know some of the more complex health needs and particularly with some of the aged um, participants that we have coming out of custody. Um, yeah. I think the Bolton Clark philosophy really aligns with um, the the way in which Jesuit Social Services and Reconnect program works. And it's an outreach response, and it's taking health services to, to the person to the in the community. Yeah. Um, mm. So I think it's sort of that uh, makes you know people feel comfortable because addressing health needs can be something that some of our participants can, um, I, I guess, uh, there are so many other complex needs that they um, uh, have that they can sort of almost put it to the side. And and in the cohort that we have coming out of custody, I'd say on average about 65 to 70% of people come out with no fixed address. So it, it really um, wow. aligns with the work yeah. that Bolton Clark and the Homeless um, Persons Program, you know, uh, does.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that, that statistic you've just mentioned there in passing, Susie, of the, the 60 to 70% having no fixed abode or no fixed address is it's quite a scary one and uh, I think a, an ongoing issue for us um, in the health sector and the welfare sector, how we manage that. But let's talk about the University of Melbourne. The Justice Health Unit was engaged to be part of this project. So, Beck, you um, worked with the University of Melbourne as a team and undertook a thorough evaluation of this program over a two-year period, what, are, what what evidence have you got and what does it say about the model of care and what conclusions have you been able to draw from from that thorough evaluation?
2: Yeah, sure. So the, the interim evaluation report reports on the first two years of the program and we're just about, up, just about to wrap up our third year of the program. So obviously we haven't got that third year worth of data yet. We've very deliberately taken a quantitative and qualitative approach to this because just measuring people's, um, I guess, alcohol use or substance use uh, and their self-reported health status is not necessarily enough. The numbers don't tell the story. So the qualitative Mm. case studies and impact on individuals, I think, just illustrate the breadth and depth of work and impact that this one nurse role has had. Uh, certainly in addressing immediate physical and mental health needs before they spiral out of control. And and as Lucy said, you know, helping this super vulnerable group who really struggle with low health literacy and a range of pre-existing illness to navigate the system has been well demonstrated. Um, We're also measuring participant and the Reconnect case manager staff, uh, I guess, confidence and skills in self-managing their own care or in terms of the... Uh, the confidence of the case managers to help participants manage their care and ensuring they get the appropriate healthcare they need in a timely manner. So over the first two years, we've seen that a part-time nurse, a 0.8 of a full-time equivalent, four days a week, has provided over 1,200 instances of care to more than 200 clients. And we know that every hospital admission costs between, like a basic hospital admission, costs between about three and $6,500. So it doesn't take many hospital admissions averted from a government perspective, to make this a really cost-effective proposition alone, even just from an economic sense, before you look at the other impacts. Um, Mm. The other thing that I think we've learned along the way around this partnership is the flexibility of care. So by actually having that person embedded within the team to do that ad hoc, anecdotal, secondary consult all the time, you know, hey, Michael, what's his medication? Hey, how do I access this? Or I've tried to ring these people, I couldn't get you know, anywhere in terms of accessing this need, what do I do next? That kind of constant, um, I guess, backwards and forwards conversation has really come out in the qualitative data about the impact of the model having the nurse on site embedded within that team all day. Um, And I think overall the evaluation is building a really strong evidence base to encourage the Victorian government to strengthen the transitional support programs and recognise the value of that integrated primary health nursing to enhance successful transition back to community.
1: Great. So there's a, quite a clear message there for government that um, embedding a nurse in a, in a team like this is effective and does work. But look, I'm, I'm also a really big fan of this qualitative piece that you mentioned, Beck, um, and a big fan of the stories and case studies. And I, and I often see that when these come across my desk, I'm really intrigued and always read them. Um, and in your article, I noticed that you've also got a case study. Um, that you've outlined there. So, Susie, I wondered if you'd like to share a little bit of that story with our listeners, if you wouldn't mind.
3: Yes, yeah, sure. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, um, a, a high number of the people that we work with come out of custody with no fixed address. Um, we know that the, the, the people that are on the ReConnect program that the nurses have contact with, 81% of them have a mental health issue, 72% of which are undiagnosed. Um, 94% substance misuse and then a high number of, of people that have significant health issues and, you know, w- which is anything from infectious diseases to chronic health, um, pain and injury. Um, and I think the, the nurse has the two case studies uh, provided or the examples provided just show, I guess, the, um, the breadth of the work that the nurse is able to do in the program. So everything from supporting the team with, um, high level aged care needs and navigating a, a system that's actually really complex, and that often um, a caseworker or a case support worker without a medical or a health background would not be able to access so easily, as well mm. as um, supporting families and um, to, to understand um, drug use and to, to look at harm minimization approaches as well as to um, support I guess case workers with the secondary consult to, to also do that work so um, the, the, the the case support worker will you know refer the participant to, to the nurse. And um, from there, the nurse develops their relationship with that person and then will start to address the, the, the health needs um, of the individual and work with them. I think the, the interesting thing with, with both of those case studies and which aligns with Jesuit social services is that the nurse builds a really strong relationship and I think through that relationship we start to just not, start to see benefits not just from the immediate health needs but looking at the longer-term um, health needs of the person and the longer term health management.
1: Sure. Thanks, Susie. And and for listeners, um, if you want to, they're, 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 those case studies are in shadow boxes or, you know, a slightly coloured area, that, so they're quite easy to find in the article. So I encourage you to go and have a look. Um, they really do open up what the work that Susie and her team are doing. So we are now conducting this interview in during the COVID pandemic or epidemic, as um, we mentioned earlier. And I... I've been asking each person I've been interviewing on this podcast series how they feel that this particular time might change or inform future service delivery um, and what what, what some of the additional measures that maybe need to put in place. So maybe just firstly to you, Susie, do you think that COVID-19 is going to change the way that you go about your work in any way?
3: Uh, look, I think it certainly will and it's already has. We're still delivering services, but obviously we're abiding by the government's social distancing rules and directives and um, making sure that staff and participants are safe. Um, but we are still providing essential outreach. Um, we are doing COVID screening um, tools with our, or questionnaires with our participants before we go out to see them. Um, we are obviously, the nurse is still Providing and delivering services, um, I think that it's certainly, um, you know, our business is outreach, and it's about the relationship and building that relationship with participants and seeing them face to face. But we have actually taken on board a lot of, um, I guess, you know, Zoom meetings and and facetimes with participants, and ensuring that they have the um, the I guess the um, equipment to be able to. Um, still get services provided or still still be able to access support, mm. access support um, and, yep. you know, meeting for their parole appointments and, you know, CCS meetings and things as well. So I think we're still delivering services, but what it has shown is that services can be delivered in a range of ways quite effectively.
1: Yeah and that—that's—I that, think that's been a learning for all of us. Yeah, Beck, did you have any thoughts from your perspective around how COVID nineteen might modify models of care or service delivery that that you that you can see in this work?
2: Yeah, I think we've been incredibly fortunate that our in Australia our social restrictions have had such a dramatic impact, and I think we're you know we're the envy of the world at the moment in terms of what we've been able to do. Uh, but. That said, I think we're now in a position where we need to gently return to business as usual as a health service provider and ensure that people are still able to access the healthcare that they need. And I think there's certainly been um, quite a bit of discussion lately about the fact that a lot of people are putting off seeking healthcare at the moment because they are concerned that hospitals are overrun or that they might be at risk of getting COVID if they come to a health service. So we're sort of stuck in this little bit of limbo land of wanting to make sure that people who do need appropriate healthcare can access it. Um, And I think uh, that we will inevitably have to endure geographic clusters of cases for some time, but I'm optimistic Mm. that with our new acceptance of social distancing and the simplicity of hand washing and having ongoing low thresholds to testing, that I'm hopeful that the only legacy we might have from COVID will be that, um, that that will be it and we can transition back to provision of care in the community settings for the most vulnerable people who are otherwise even less likely in these circumstances to access the care that they need. So I think with some modifications and, as Susie said, some sustained, uh, I guess, use of different modalities to be in touch with people and make sure that they are getting care, we can start to move forward and make sure that everyone's getting what they need.
1: Mm, great. And and let's hope the service system improves in some ways and governments are more flexible around some of these Ways they're supporting the work that we do. So, look, final question for both of you, and I'll start with you first, Beck. Is there a story or an encounter that you've had over your working life that inspires you to keep striving to make a difference in this challenging area? So, Beck, to you.
2: I think as health professionals, uh, we encounter so many cases that stick with us for a long time, and for different reasons. But I think there are a number of cases for me that have this reoccurring theme and. For, the, for me, that is that when our staff really engage well with a client and we learn that their difficulties were seeded so far back in their childhood where they endured significant poverty or trauma or neglect, which then often spirals into a life of mental health and substance use and crime, um, I think then we see these people with significant challenges desperately trying to make their life um, better or to get their life back on track and we see them engaging with our staff, making positive steps to achieve goals or outcomes that they never thought were possible and seeing their pride in being able to turn that all around when um, things have been so miserable for such a long time. I think that's that's what really drives me when you see them making such significant steps and change after such a long period of of difficulty that um, those stories, they stick with you and you remember them and they inspire you for next time.
1: Brilliant. Susie, what about you? An inspiring story or an encounter?
3: Um, John, I would, uh, similar to what Beck has said, I think that, um, you know, Jesuit Social Services has been delivering services in, in the justice space for over 40 years. Um, I think we've seen some incredibly resilient people and worked with some incredibly resilient people that have had um, histories of trauma and some unspeakable experiences, which is then obviously, you know, um, spiral so out of control that they've ended up in the custodial system. Um, our approach to the work is relationship-based and it's from a strength-based perspective. And I think, you know, in everyone you can see strength and you can see... Um, uh, you know, a, a desire to live a positive and fulfilling life. And I think having the opportunity to support people to reach their full potential, to live in a safe community um, and to be able to live, you know, um, in, in a way where they can contribute positively, I think, are some of the things that or, or the, the reasons why we keep doing the work we do and, and, and why we're inspired to keep working in this space.
1: Beautiful. And and just if I may say, um, your illustrious leader, Julie Edwards, has been an inspiration to many, um, I think, in, in, the, in, the, in her leadership as well. So, But look, thank you to both of you. Thanks for your time to be part of this podcast series. Absolute pleasure. Thanks,
2: John. Thanks, John.
0: To subscribe to a printed copy of Parity magazine, visit chp.org.au forward slash Parity. This podcast series has been developed by St. Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St. Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music track for this podcast is called Slow Burn by Kevin MacLeod, host of incompetech.filmmusic.io, and is licensed under the Creative Commons 4.0 by Attributions Licence. This information, information about our guests and more can be found in the text under the podcast description. Thanks for listening.